don't know if it was a dream or a vision or what it was, but it was real. Just as real as me now talking to you here in your house. He was an angel. He came and said I was a favored one and that God was with me. I was afraid because I could tell he had been in the presence of God. I don't know how, I just knew it. And I couldn't figure out why he would say these things about me. He said that I should not be afraid and that I had found favor with God. I almost couldn't believe it. But still, this is the message that the angel from the Lord had brought. That I had found favor with him. And so I must believe it. He said that I would conceive in my womb and from that bear a son. And I am to name him Jesus. He is going to be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God is going to give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. You know the words of the prophets, Elizabeth. You know what this means. I'm going to bear the Messiah. I do not understand how this could be. I still don't know if I do, really. I'm betrothed to Joseph, but I have not known him as my husband. I swear it. How could I have a child if I am still a virgin? The angel said that the Holy Spirit of God would come upon me and the power of the Most High would overshadow me. And so this child would be called Holy, the Son of God. This child would be through me, a woman. But he will be from God, who is our Father. And then he told me about you and Zachariah and the baby you carry. And I knew that you and he had never, I mean, could never. But now I stand before you and I see your belly. And I believe now what the angel said. He said this, for nothing will be impossible with God. afraid, but it was almost like God himself then stirred my spirit, and so I boldly said to the angel, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I'm not afraid anymore, Elizabeth. I know that he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. I still do not understand it all, and maybe I never will, but I know that he is good. Could you imagine that? hundred years of this wonderful story of God working through his people Israel, promising this wonderful Messiah that would come once and for all and destroy the enemy and bring salvation and rescue to his people. Hundreds of years through slavery, through imprisonment, through kingdom after kingdom after kingdom rising and falling through periods of hard times and famine and drought and through all of this, God having this steady stream of a promise, hey, a Messiah, a chosen one, an anointed one is coming. And then through his prophets saying that he would come miraculously born of a virgin, seeing this, anticipating this. Oh, and then through the prophet Malachi who would promise that there would be a child that would be born that would come before him and prepare the way for him and then silence for a few hundred years. And then all of a sudden, Mary being visited by the angel, Gabriel in the sixth month 
sent from God to a city named Galilee, of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. The one that you've been waiting for, and you, Mary, are the virgin that was prophesied about that would miraculously bring this Savior, this Rescuer, this Messiah into the world. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative is Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Her cousin Elizabeth in her womb, bearing John the Baptist, who was the prophesied forerunner from Malachi just a few hundred years before that, that he would come first and prepare the way. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're opening up your word, looking at your story, your providence, your sovereignty. A very familiar story, one that maybe has become too familiar in our heart where it no longer brings a sense of wonder and awe. If that's the case, you would restore to us the proper response to the awesome, wonderful, miraculous nature of this true story. And if we've never heard it before, we've never believed it before, by your spirit, you would come upon us and you'd help us to have the heart to understand what it is you've been doing this whole time, what life is all about and why we even exist and the universe is here, all singling in and coming down to this one point of history that was expected and that is looked back to now of when you would bring the savior of the world. Open our eyes to our need for this constantly. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, amen. We're starting a series. It's our Christmas series. And you'll see it's to the praise of his glory. I mean, that statement itself is kind of obvious. It's almost like it's begging for a a little context. And the context you can can kind of naturally fill in. Why all of this? Why this season? Why this, this time, this atmosphere, this attitude, the decorations? What is all of this pointing to? What's the point of it all? What's the point of all of this? The songs, the singing, all of it. It is to the praise of the glory of God. God who is the creator of all things, who has made everything and he has worked everything according to his perfect plan and will is writing a story. We are a part of it. Earth exists because he wanted to make it and within it make us into his image. We have fallen and we have been living in a world that is broken. And inside of us all, whether we know it or not or know what the solution is, what we do know is something is wrong and we all are in need of something. 
chasing for it, looking for the light, trying to find it in anything we can. But Jesus shows up and says, it can only be found in me. And so this season is a reminder and should be a reminder to us of what our life should be about to the praise of his glory. Not just this time of the year, but it's a reminder of what it should be always. In the beginning of the story, everyone knows Mary. Mary is a great part of Christmas, and she is the prophesied virgin from long ago that angel Gabriel comes to and says, you are the one who's going to bear within your womb the Messiah. And what we're going to see here today is Mary erupt, erupt in a psalm and a song, the Magnificat, which is just a Latin word. It's talking about my soul magnifying, a magnification of God himself bubbling inside of Mary and coming out in praise. And immediately what God does through his plan is always works out in his people through all situations is everything to the praise of his glory. And that's what the series is going to be about. And Mary's going to be an awesome example to all of us today, whether you're watching or whether you're here, an awesome example of what the Christmas spirit is supposed to be. You see, I've titled it Redeeming the Christmas Spirit. Why would I say that? I mean, that's kind of a tired thing. Churches have been complaining for a long time, for many years, that the Christmas spirit has been lost and the season of Christmas, even though the word Christ is in Christmas, has been relegated to just a season that's about morality and goodness and kindness and all of these things. And many preachers and many churches and many Christians have lamented over this for a long time. But it doesn't mean that we're going to stop lamenting over it. Because it is sad to see what? It is sad to see within the hearts of people a season that only exists because of Jesus coming into the world. People still saying, you know what? I want the kingdom without the king. I I want kindness without Christ. I want goodness without the spirit. I want joy, love, peace, patience, All of these great things that we say the season is about, but I want it all without Jesus. You know what? I can have my cake and eat it. All of these things that the world itself, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe in the Christmas story or not, we all can agree that these qualities and these things that we try to celebrate and say we should muster up during the Christmas season are all great things. All of our movies, all of our stories understand that love and peace and joy and kindness and self-sacrifice are qualities that we say those are, those are good. Which is why in the book of Galatians, Paul says that these are the fruits of the Spirit, which means these things only come through the Spirit. You know, recently I watched a movie with my girls, a Christmas movie. It's a newer one, and it was actually a really good movie. Good production, great story, and the setup was amazing. The setup was this father and the son who, who lived in this town and think resources were sparse, but the one thing that was missing was hope. And the king gets up in front of everyone and gathers everyone together and says, hope is missing. There's no joy and hope is something is missing. So he puts this decree, this edict to go out into the ends of the earth and begs for someone to bring something back that would give them hope. Well, isn't that set up great? It's like, whoa, there's the the plight of humanity right there. There it is. We can all relate to that, man. I need something. Go out and get it. 
And the story ends up being this boy goes to the north to this place where the elves live that his father always told him about. And there in the elf kingdom, the elves are celebrating Christmas. And they're happy. And it's the greatest day of all. And when the boy says, what is this season and this day all about? The elf responds, here's your moment. It's the kindest day of all. And so the whole rest of the movie is this boy bringing hope back to the kingdom. And you know what the hope is that he's bringing? It's Christmas. Do you know what's missing throughout the whole movie? The meaning of Christmas. As if carving wooden toys and throwing them down a chimney is going to solve the problem of hopelessness within the heart of people. But yet even the world recognizes there's something special about this day. There's something special and hopeful, but I'll tell you this, the hope that the world is looking for, the hope that maybe you are looking for is not going to be found in an ambient atmosphere of Christmas. It's not going to be found in in some special Starbucks drink. It's not going to be found in the nostalgia that we're begging and longing for during this year. These things are great and good and to be celebrated, but the hope that every heart and soul is looking for is the hope that has come through Jesus and you cannot have the hope without him. Mary's going to show us as a perfect example and remind us of what the Christmas spirit is all about. Spoiler alert. It's authentic worship. Authentic worship. You know, that's, that, rings, that rings a bell. That's, something's going off here, right? Because we just talked about that in our blueprint. One of our pillars out here is authentic worship. Now, you're going to see today on the screen, it's going to be a, a little bit more simplistic as far as the outline. We actually have a, a simple sentence, and we're going to look at the example of Mary worshiping God authentically as she has come into contact with the hope that has just been put into her heart. She's going to erupt as an example of what Christmas is all about. The spirit of Christmas should be year-round long inside the hearts of God's people to the praise of his glory. Now, if you look in Luke chapter 1, which is where we're going to be, that's where I read from, was Luke chapter 1, the angel appearing to Mary. And after the angel appeared to Mary, as you saw in the video, Mary goes to Elizabeth, her cousin, and you could imagine for three months and for many months what their conversations were like as they were excited to think, wow, we've been chosen. God's using us, the Messiah, and John the Baptist, the forerunners coming through. Look at what God's doing. Immediately after, in those days, verse 39 of chapter 1, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary, an example of what the Christmas spirit is all about. First things first, the Christmas spirit involves exalting. You see that? If you're writing down exalting with a U, not an A, that's not a typo. It's the word exalting exaltation 
which simply means within side of a person, a triumphant expression of jubilee. Triumphant expression of jubilee and happiness. It's, it's that thing that you can't fake. It's something that's happening inside and it's coming out. Exaltation. The Christmas spirit involves exalting. And so in this moment, Mary then says this, and it's recorded to us this magnificent, the song of Mary, where Mary says this. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit. Spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Soul, spirit, interchangeable words, the repetition that's, that's in the Bible that's poetic and song to make the point over and over that the spirit, the soul of Mary inside of her, deep within her, is, is magnifying and rejoicing in the Lord. It's an experience. It's something that, that is intense within her that she knows is happening. There's this experience of intense exaltation. Now listen, the word by itself, exaltation or exalting, we all do this. It just depends what what do we exalt in. We all can understand this experience of intense jubilation on the inside erupting out. But what is it that causes you to exalt? The Christmas spirit involves exaltation. I'm telling you, I see a lot of people and a lot of us exalting, expressing moments of joy over everything during the season. I mean, the the decorations, the trees, the nostalgia, the food, and amen. Those things I exalt in as well. But what what happens when it comes to the story, though? What happens when we stop to think about the the actual story of Christmas, about Jesus, nothing? centered in on Jesus, does exaltation begin to happen? The Christmas spirit involves exaltation, but this is what we're going to see next. It involves exalting in who God is. Exalting in who God is. And who did Mary say that God was? Once she believed in God, and she says this, my soul magnifies who? The Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. Mary herself exclaiming that God, I believe, Mary say that, that God is Lord, master, king. She actually said earlier to Gabriel, she referred to herself as a servant, did she not? And we're going to see her call herself that again here in her song. I'm a servant. I'm below, I fall in rank underneath. God is in control. He is Lord. He is authority. Who is she and what is she exalting in? What is this, this expression of rejoicing, jubilant, triumphant nature that's coming out of her? Who is it towards? It's towards God. Who is her Lord? My soul magnifies. That word means to make great we're looking at Mary as an example. Compare yourself to her. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to an experience on the inside? You're like, man, the spirit inside of me, man, my flesh is weak, but the, 
the, pers- the soul that I am, I'm a, I'm a soul who has a body. The person of me, my personality, my identity of who I am makes God great. And he's my Lord. He's my authority. He's the one I get my cues from. I follow him. Do you experience your soul making, magnifying, making God great? My soul magnifies the Lord. How easy is it for us to experience a, de- a, a, a what's the word, bringing God down in our heart? Or maybe we're, we're, we're not as impressed or as excited because we're so overcome with our circumstances that we get lost in the moment and our, our something inside of us almost begins to critique and judge God. There's this experience of where, well, God, when you don't match up to what I want, who I think you should be and what you should be, I begin to kind of put you on the hot seat and make sure, hey, hey, no, 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 no. This is who you need to be in order to be great for me. Mary, though, comes along as an example as the servant of the Lord who's saying, I did, my soul magnifies the Lord. He's great because of who he is. He's Lord. He's not a servant to me who's here on planet earth to serve me. I'm here to serve him, and he is great. And what does she say next? She's exalting, yes, in who God is. He's Lord, but he's also what? My spirit rejoices in who? God, my Savior. Now, what is Mary saying here? Mary's highly favored among women, but it's because she's being chosen for such a wonderful awesome opportunity. It doesn't mean that she's some quasi-deified woman that we should be worshiping as the Catholics have gotten wrong. Mary is simply this, another sinner who's in need of rescue. She admits that God is her savior, which means that she knows the humble position that she's in as a sinner. And even though she's a sinner in need of a savior, God's choosing her for this awesome, wonderful time in history. And she's favored. She's looked at it and say, wow, that's awesome that she got to be that. And look, God chose her for that. That's wonderful. That's awesome. But she's a person and a human who's in need of a savior. This is the story of the Bible. This is the ultimate perspective of Christmas we need to have. It is a reminder that a savior came into the world. What's the implication of that? That we need to be saved. Saved from what? Jesus had to come on the scenes and actually help his people understand you don't need salvation from your government oppression. This isn't a a song about God coming in as a king and wiping out the evil Roman government. And Jesus was constantly facing the people. Man, my people got it wrong. They're prideful in the heart. They think they're good just because they have Jewish blood coursing through their veins. I'm trying to come in and show them they need salvation from their sin. And they're trying to make it about a political redemption. No, no, no. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because without him I am lost and I am destined for his wrath and I will be lost forever in hell as a human being made in his image who has spent the little time on earth that I have that I don't know when it's going to live, living for myself, offending a holy God. But he has looked at me, God, My Savior, she knew that the only hope that she had of being saved from her going her own way 
and being an enslaved to sin, being enslaved to a person who as in behavior and thoughts and speech uses her life to go against the things of God that results in her being a sinner and the wages of sin is death. And all of us, when we die, stand before God in judgment according to Hebrews and we must give account for the things that are done in the body, whether good or evil, and every single person will stand before God guilty. This is why we need a savior. This is why John the Baptist, who was the forerunner who Elizabeth is bearing, he showed up on the scene before Jesus did and what did he start doing? He was baptizing people, telling them to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? The kingdom of God is at hand. God's kingdom is coming and with it, judgment. Make things right now before it's too late. And guess what? God has made a way to make things right. You are not lost forever. You have not just been thrown to the wayside and forgotten about. For all of history, God has been weaving together these stories and protecting his people through the people of Israel, through all of their ups and downs, and bringing through Israel the promise of the Messiah who would sit on the throne of David and Gabriel comes and says, it's time, Mary, it's time. So yeah, she's excited because of what this means. Exalting. Authentic worship is something you cannot fake. We talked about that, but it's authentic worship is the expression of a true, genuine experience on the inside that's coming out. Yeah, we can fake it on the outside. But Mary's the example of the one who's believing it on the inside and she can't help but to express it, exalting in who, in who God is, her Lord and God, her Savior. God is going to be the one that's going to come in and fulfill the hope that she's missing. How about you? Where's your hope? Is it in money? Is it in the stocks? Is it in your family being together? Is it in children, having children, not having children? Is it in that promotion? Is it in that material thing or, or getting that thing you're working and saving for? All of these things experience in life are all temporal things that are constantly trying to distract us from the very thing that's actually missing in our heart. And it's our need for being connected with the God who made us. That's what's eternally missing and out of whack with our soul. And sin has separated us from God. And God is going to be our Savior. He's going to make that right. Is God your Savior? Is He your hope? If not, He can be freely. He's not hiding it from you, and He's not holding it back, keeping you from having it. He's sending His Son, piercing through the darkness, sending His Son into the world, even though His own people rejected Him. The Christmas spirit involves exalting in who God is, but not only in who he is, Lord and Savior, but also in what he has done. Exalting in who God is and what he has done. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And then he, she says this word, for, Right? She's joining with the psalmist, the whole book of Psalms. This sounds like it could be like Psalm 184, like a new one. Like we could read it and it would fit right in there. An expression of joy and then the reasons for the joy, the reasons for it. Mary is exalting in who God is and what he has done. For my spirit, my soul is rejoicing because, look what she says, For he has looked 
on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Personal reasons for rejoicing of what God had done for her personally. Immediately, what do you think Mary's thinking about? What she says there, he has looked upon the humble estate. And what does she call herself? Of his servant. Look at Mary's view of herself. Humble estate. In other words, I'm insignificant. I'm lowly. God is up here. I am down here. And I do not deserve him looking on me, him showing favor to me. I mean, put yourself, imagine an angel coming to you and saying to you personally, I mean, you just had a week where every night you've went to bed thinking that God's far from you and he's mad at you and he doesn't love you. And then an angel comes to you and says, a personal message from God, you are highly favored in the eyes of God. I mean, I just want to start, I want to start crying. Like, no, I'm not worthy. That's it. It's what, it's what Mary's experienced because she knows who she is. She's not God. She's insignificant. She's not special. No one knows her. She doesn't have like 4 million followers on Instagram or whatever it is. She's a nobody. Because she also knows a humble estate, lowly, which involves, you know, I need a savior. I'm not worthy. I'm a sinner. This is a theme throughout scripture God is trying to make very clear. He dwells in a high and holy place, scripture says, but he also makes his home with the humble and contrite. Where does God dwell? Well, he dwells in heaven, but he also dwells with those, as we're going to see, who fear him and who are lowly and contrite of heart, which means a person who does not see themselves as someone who doesn't need help, who's got it all figured out and can do it in their own strength. God looks on and he shows favor to those who understand I'm a mess and I need help. I'm a mess and I need help. And God looks down at Mary and says, wow, this humble servant of mine, look at, look at her heart, look at her attitude. I mean, parents, put yourself interacting with your kids and you know it, how it hurts your heart when there is a prideful, arrogant attitude towards you and your commands. God's given his children to help us understand what it's like when we do that to him. But you know what it's like when your kids, man, even through their pain and they show humility and love and kindness, even when you're asking them to do hard things and they still submit. It's a beautiful thing. And this is the attitude of Mary. This is the attitude of the people that God looks at and dwells with. And what has God done? He's looked upon the humble estate of his servant. She's the example, what? Of the Christmas spirit, exalting in who God is and what he's done. Maybe you have been believing the lie that God is far from you, that he doesn't care about you. Maybe that all you can see are your failures and your sins and your shortcomings and your mistakes in life and you are burdened by a guilt of the people who you've hurt, the people you've neglected or rejected 
Maybe it's even a family. Maybe it's even people who've gone that you can't even make things right with. And it's hard for you to feel like God cares for you because when you close your eyes to talk to him, all you can think about is where you've fallen and you just want to hide because it's too painful. I'll tell you this. Wanting to hide is not speaking truth into who God is. God knows exactly who you are, what you've done, and where you've fallen short. And he loves you so much that he wants to make a way where you don't have to live in that shame and that guilt anymore. And he is looking upon you. He looks upon those who are brokenhearted and downcast and hurting and of lowly estate. But what's the warning in scripture? Those who are prideful, Humble yourself so that you may be exalted. God says, you humble yourself, I will lift you up. I personally, but if you're walking around prideful thinking you get it all figured out, you can live life on your own. No one can tell you what to do or where to go. God says, beware. Pride comes before the fall. And the promise is those who are prideful will be humiliated, will be humbled, will be abased. God's like, you've put yourself in a position where you're high. I'm gonna bring you down low. I will force you there. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. You'll never win that fight with God. Never win it. Christmas spirit should be a reminder of who we are in comparison to him, and it should bring us to a somber humility of remembering I desperately need him to save me and to look upon me in favor because there's nothing I can do in my own strength to make this right. I need him. God says, I will in no wise cast that person out. I'll not reject you. I make my home with you. I'll always see you, always be there for you. Mary says, he has looked upon the humble estate of a servant, which is why she says, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Here we are, different continent, thousands of years later, marveling at the position Mary was put in. She's absolutely right. Blessed, happy is Mary, highly favored among women, being used for this wonderful time of history. And then she says this, and holy is his name. What is, what is another way of saying holy? It's, it's like Mary's convincing herself. It's like she's like really trying to like wake up flesh, wake up. Don't you realize who it is who has been looking upon you? It is God, the Lord, the Savior. And guess what? Holy is his name. No one like him. He is perfect. He is pure. He is the one who accomplishes everything he made, every star in the sky. No plan can throw. Holy is his name. A great understanding of who God is. His very name is holy. And this is the one who is coming to meet you where you are. Not distant. Meeting you where you are. And using you for his plan and his purposes. It's not just for Mary. It's for every single one of his people who look upon him. And he looks upon and he calls you and he wants to use you for an awesome, wonderful, great plan that will bring salvation to the world. No one's excluded from this. Mary's an example though. So now she turns from exalting and who God is and what he's done for her personally to turn to reflect on what he's done for her people and for the world. Look what she says next. It's like, I'm sitting here, Mary. She's like, I'm, I'm rejoicing what God's done for me, but wait, not just for me. Look what she says next. 
not just for me. And his mercy, verse 50, is for those who fear him. His mercy is for those who fear him. One of the things God has done for us, not only look upon us, not only be with us, but shower us with mercy, which without, we wouldn't have the forgiveness of sins. We wouldn't have these moments where God is being patient with us each and every day, forbearing us, putting up with us. His mercy is with those who fear him from generation to generation. There's never going to be a time in the world where this is going to stop being the case. Christmas should be a time that you remember all the time, every day of the year, that when you wake up every morning, his mercies are new. And the steadfastness of the Lord never ceases. Another thing that's interesting is Mary, as she's being filled with the Spirit to praise God, her mind is being flooded with Scripture. Everything that she's saying can be found in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, or from Samuel, or from somewhere, as she reflects on like, oh, just like Hannah, who was barren in the womb, and she prayed and asked God, and God brought her a son, Samuel. I'm just like her. I'm joining my places with her. His mercy on those who fear him from generation to generation. Do you have the mercy of the Lord on your life? It's there. But notice the prerequisite. You must fear him. I thought God loves us. Why do I got to fear him? No, it's a very proper fear. You fear the one who is able to to make any decision and do anything he can. You fear him appropriately in reverence and in awe. And his love will begin to weed out a fear of him into an awe and a wonder and a love for him. But it begins with fear. There's a lot of people in the world who aren't afraid to use his name as a cuss word, to live their life however they want to, to even take a season and a holiday and use it for their own pleasure and neglect him the whole time, showing an example of what not fearing him looks like. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Now look as she begins, we're gonna go through this quick, but she begins to think about what she's done for her people. Let's just read through it real quick. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate and has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Exalting Mary and who God is and what he's done for her personally and now she jumps to what he, he has done throughout all the generations and especially for her people, Israel. From the moment Adam and Eve in the garden sinned and God covered them and he said, I'm gonna bring a snake crusher that's come and he pushed them out of the garden but he immediately made a promise. Eve was named Eve, the mother of the living. Adam knew that he would get his salvation from her and that through her, the Messiah would come, the Savior would come. And then years and years and years go by as the people of God start to grow. He makes promises to Abraham because of his faith. And then years and years go by, Jacob Israel, his people, his nation begins to start to form all the way to Joseph, but then his people get enslaved in Egypt for many years, millions of them, and God, what does God do? He brings Moses, he brings a prophet that delivers them out, brings them in the wilderness to test them. Joshua then is 
risen up, Joshua, meaning Yeshua, same name for Jesus, who leads them in conquest, in victory in the book of Joshua. All the surrounding nations that opposed them and that were bigger than them were crushed because they had God on their side. All the while, God's still promising the Messiah. Time of judges come where people are just doing whatever's right in their own eyes. And every time God left his people to do whatever it was they wanted to do, they always were left miserable, without peace, and enslaved. And what would happen? They would cry to him, and every time God would hear them and rise up a judge that would deliver them. This happened over and over and over in the book of Judges. God's trying to make a picture. We can't live without him. And then what happens? God anoints a king, King David, who's the ultimate human shadow and expression of Jesus that would be the king that would sit on the throne and rule. And through David was promised the Messiah that would come and sit on his throne. And yes, the kingdom was divided and God scattered them and they were sent in discipline to captivity, but God delivered them out of, out of the captivity again. They re- rebuilt the temple and there towards the end of the Old Testament, God starts making these promises. Messiah's coming, be ready, he's coming. We know it's near, we know it's near, we know it's near. Boom, some two to 300 years of silence and now here God shows up at the humble estate of Mary and makes this promise. And she's remembering, man, look at what we've gone through, my people, and look what God has done. His arm stretched out, how he has fought for us, how he has helped us, all the great and the mighty things he's done for us. Look at some of the things he's done. Scatters the proud in their thoughts, maybe thinking about Pharaoh or Nebuchadnezzar. Brought down mighty from their thrones, these kings who had every human resource at their hands within a snap of God's finger are brought low. All bow before him. And what has God done? He's exalted those of humble estate and he's filled the hungry with good things. And what has he done? And the rich he has sent away empty. This is the way that God operates. God does not live in human wisdom where we tend to look at people who have money, wealth, and riches and we envy them God's trying to paint a different story. Look, they have money, wealth, and everything they have, and they're empty. Why? Because they don't have me. But look at the poor who have nothing, but they have me, and they have the joy that the rich will never be able to find in their material pursuits. They'll never be satisfied. See, God likes to reverse things. God says he likes to use the lowly things of the world to put to shame, the foolish things of the world to put to shame, the wise and the lowly to put to shame, the strong. God will come to people like Mary and the people that no one knows, the people who have no status, no money, nothing to brag about, who are weak and who seem to mess up all the time. And God says, I love them. I'll make my place with them. Mary's our example, church. She understood God properly And she knew her scriptures. And she's rejoicing in what God had done for her personally and also what God had done for the whole world. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. God does not forget his promises and he will do the great things that he promised to the early fathers. He will bring it about and it will happen forever. And you're only going to see this as December goes on and we reflect on God keeping his promises. Where are you at? 
Can you relate to Mary? Exalting in who God is and what he's done. Can we redeem the Christmas spirit? Not let all of the gifts we have to buy and all the places we gotta be distract us from what it's really about. Making God great. Remembering who he is and what he's done for us. I also wanna speak to the person that may be here here among us right now, or maybe even if you're watching live. Maybe you know in your heart, like, man, I have no part of this. I, I don't have this hope that he keeps talking about. I've lived my life like, like the person on the outside. I've been trying to find my joy and my happiness and my purpose in anything but this. And something deep inside of me has kept me from this. It's like I just turn my face to it, but I'll turn my face to anything else, even if it's bad for me to try to find joy in it. But it's like deep down, my soul, my spirit knows that the God who made me is what I'm looking for. And something's trying to keep me from that. God, I pray that you, by your spirit, you draw them to you. If that's you, let me tell you why Christmas is such a time of celebration. Because Jesus grows up, this little baby grows up, and he lives the perfect, sinless life that you never could. And he willingly dies a horrible, suffering death as a criminal, though he was innocent. And he did that in your place. Took your place of punishment. So sin could be punished because it must be. Spilled his blood and had his body ravaged on a cross And he died. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. And what he has done through his life, through his death and his resurrection, he has become the savior for the whole world. So the Bible makes this promise that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved from the wrath that is coming inevitably to all mankind. You will be spared from it. You will not only be spared from the wrath to come, but you will be brought into relationship with God. He will be your father. He will love you and he'll be with you for all of time. And he promises you eternal life. And he wants you now to live your rest of your life on planet earth, not for this life, but for the one to come. And that is available to all who call. This is why Christmas is such a time of celebration. Why we give gifts? Because God gave the greatest gift of Jesus Christ. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For by grace you've been saved. Through faith, it is a gift of God, not of works, so that no man should boast. If that's you and you say, man, I want this, it is not being kept from you. You take it by believing in Jesus and asking him to save you and God will keep his promise to you and he'll make you part of the family. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this great, wonderful truth. God, there's nothing better than you. Our hearts are just blind to it until you awaken our eyes to it. For all of us, would you bring us to a place where we are resting in your mercy and your kindness and your goodness, not distracted by the things of the world, redeeming this spirit, or inside we are exalting constantly in who you are and what you've done, being true worshipers whom you are looking for, that show the example
the example of how to do all things to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.